0: Welcome back to the Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. Here's a hint of what's coming up.
1: So you know doubt that some of the best days of my life have been on the Scottish hills in winter. And I think sometimes we can get very bogged down with the kind of more technical aspects of it and forget, you know, what's actually around us and and how stunning and beautiful it is.
2: I'd say it takes quite a long time for you know, your technical rock climbers to get their heads around winter climbing. There's a lot of cleaning routes, gear just doesn't jump out at you. you, know there's a lot of hard-won situations. You have to be really creative.
0: Glenmore Lodge is Scotland's National Outdoor Training Centre, based on the northern edge of the Cairngorms National Park. The lodge is an outdoor institution, serving as a centre of excellence for over 70 years. In this episode, I'm privileged to chat with Chief Instructor Heather Morning and Mountain Guide Stu McAleese. With their unparalleled experience of Scottish winter, I wanted to finesse out what are the essential skills and the mindset needed to keep us safe on our journeys, whether that be a first time out winter walking, tackling one of Scotland's big ridge lines, or whether trying to break into harder ice and mixed climbing. So what makes Scottish winter so unique, ensuring people come back again and again? What tips and tricks do they have up their sleeves. Staying warm, planning your day, reading conditions, dealing with the big winds, and generally staying safe, Heather and Stu's wisdom is priceless. Heather, Stu, great to see you, it's been a while. Heather, mm-hmm. I want to start with, with you if I may. Um, what's your role at Glenmore Lodge and how did you get there in sort of five minutes?
1: oh my god five minutes we could do with at least a night out in the pub for this one andy uh, so my role at glenmore lodge now is chief instructor which is a operational management role a lot to deal with staffing the program for example and um firefighting when things don't quite go according to plan uh, my journey to here i was uh, in a, in briefly i was brought up in north yorkshire by um a family that was super cle- super keen on their hill walking and dad was doing the monroes and he was a climber so from before i could even walk i was carried in one of these makeshift seats up a a mountain and um had done at least half the monroes before i even knew what one was so that was a real um fundamental kind of start in life and uh, you know i've really got my parents to thank for that particularly my dad but looking back the certain key events that took me on the track that i eventually uh find myself and and one was definitely you know as a sort of working class family brought up in uh, northern england we were trained to be typists at school and literally i did five years clonking away on one of these old-fashioned typewriters and and went straight into a clerical job um but fortunately um i realized that there was more to life than that and um started volunteering in a local youth club which is when i first stumbled across the mountain leader training course and um and obviously had plenty of experience to sign up for that and turned up in my red plastic wellies um never had a compass in my hand in my life and um yeah the course started on the North Yorkshire Moors and uh, that was really very pivotal in in where i ended up the people that i met there and the journey that it took me on and um made me realize there was a big wide world out there and i needed to get educated and uh, you know in order to pursue my my passion so that was where it all all started in a pair of red plastic wellies on the north yorkshire moors.
0: brilliant um I've, it sounds like some vision of glastonbury or something but Stuart, <laughs> um, you sound like you're from the north as well is that right
2: yeah yeah uh, near carlisle and tell yeah. us
0: how tell us how long you've been climbing for guiding and how did your journey start into the outdoors
2: well I d- yeah i didn't start out uh like this at all, uh, you know, I, I was brought up on a farm uh, up near, up in Northern Cumbria near Carlisle. And uh, yeah, for a long while, you know, there wasn't really any hills nearby or anything. And, and I think it was uh, round about school that I got into hill walking and I think there was nothing, I felt, you know, I, I didn't think there was anything better than filling the biggest, heaviest rucksack possible and going hill walking in the Lake District. So um, that I think that probably started with Scouts, you know, at school Uh, and I I don't know what I can't ever put the put my finger on what the link was, but uh, I ended up in the Scouts, you know, my my dad used to run the Cubs as well, so we there was always that little bit of adventure spirit from my dad, Uh, but whether he felt it was going to take us th- take me this far, I'm not exactly sure. I don't think he probably thought it would. Uh, but there was always that kind of uh, outdoor element to when we were being brought up in the countryside. You know, we were always outside, uh, whatever the weather. And I think probably one of the biggest triggers for it was my geography teachers and my school teachers, who I still keep in touch with. And they made connections with uh, an outdoor centre for me when I was at school. And uh, I got my first job from leaving school at uh, 18, and that was working in an outdoor centre on on Ullswater.
0: Okay, so you've both got, interestingly, quite a long link uh, back into sort of working in the outdoors. How many winter seasons have you done, Stuart, in Scotland, I'm thinking?
2: Well, yeah, um, it was... I used to do this religiously, whether I don't know, I was just compelled to, as soon as I could uh, work in Scotland. Uh, I'm not sure why exactly. I think it was partly, you know, the challenge of it, but also the uh, the work it provided uh, and and the nature of the work as well. But I think as soon as I could, I, I was working in Scotland and it was a while ago, you know, 20 years ago.
0: So between you, I'm just thinking of Heather and Stuart together, combined Scottish winter seasons in part or fall. There's a fair bit of experience here, I'm guessing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've just done a a few little sums there, and I reckon I've done about 30 winter seasons.
0: Glenmore Lodge. What's special about Glenmore Lodge? In a minute, Heather and then Stuart.
1: For me, it's it's partly about the location you know and it could not be more ideally placed for the winter environment in the cairngorms but it's also about the people and the enthusiasm you know we have a super positive work environment here and um you know i've worked in lots of places over the years but i would say my involvement with glenmore lodge you know even when i was um here but working for someone else. I was renting a, an office down the corridor when I did my mountain safety role with Martin here in Scotland. It was always, even then, a super positive and supportive environment and a place where you you meet like-minded people and everybody's happy and friendly and, and having a good time. So, um, you know, my other half, who's a doctor, often compares it with that, who works in A&E and everyone's having a, like, the worst time of their lives when he gets to see them and you know here we're with people who are having the best time of their lives often
0: so a lot of passion and a lot of experience well well I've got you Heather tell me about the different landscapes in Scotland and I'll, I'll come back to Stuart and, and, and chat about the skills required in those landscapes so there might be people listening who've maybe only been to one part of Scotland they might have done all their winter sort of climbing walking in Glencoe somebody else might have been to the Cairngorms might be people listening who've never been to Scotland in winter or never been to Scotland and they're thinking of it, what's the biggest difference between the West Coast mountains and the East Coast?
1: And interestingly enough, I when I was lucky enough to work down in Antarctica alongside some American guides, they were like, Well you don't have mountains in Scotland at all, do you? Because to them something that is only 1400 meters is, you know, clearly not a mountain and that's the the highest we can offer and they had no appreciation of the the climatic conditions and the, and the geography that we have here but, you know, there's some generalizations you can make and there's no doubt that that here in the Cairngorms the, the mountains are, are affected by glaciation and they tend to be more roly-poly and rounded and Because of where we're based, and we have access to um, the ski car parks, both at uh, Cairngorm and Glen Glenshee, you can get really high access, which makes them real honeypots, really popular places to go. Whereas a generalisation for over on the West Coast hills, whether that's Glencoe or further northwest, is you're often often starting from a lower starting point, you know, possibly even as low as sea level, uh, and the mountains are, are often very jaggedy, very peaky mountains and much more dramatic looking than than the Cairngorms.
0: Thank you. And Stu, the skills required in those different sort of mountain environments can be quite different. I'm thinking of sort of, well, two things. One is navigation, for example, how oh, you might navigate a bit differently, but also just the conditions the fact that on the west i guess you're close to the sea so temperatures would go up and down a little bit what would you say yeah, about
2: that? Uh, i think you know the, the mountains out west you know ben Nevis, glencoe all, all that you know they are bigger days and uh with them being westerly as well you know you, you do get that uh, that wetter climate so i think you've got far more challenges uh from that point of view you're often setting off in quite warm temperatures because you're lower but later in the day, you're going to be in freezing temperatures. You know, you might be making a 1,200 meter a day, a 1,000 meter a day on Ben Nevis. So you have to factor all that into your planning. Um, I'd say the, you know, the you still have that bigger days in the Cairngorms, but the the environment feels colder, a little bit drier, and probably slightly more arctic. You know, and that comes with its challenges, like you were saying about the navigation and the featureless plateaus, you know, it's really Arctic, really cold. And there is no hiding from the wind in the Cairngorms. It's quite a, quite a line that, uh, but in the West, it's often steeper ground so that the consequences and the challenges are dif- different. You know, the West, you know, uh, even the Avalanche service uh, say this as well. It's far steeper terrain, you know, around Glencoe, uh, Ben Nevis, you know, you got big slopes. Uh, bigger consequences and steeper ground to to navigate, but also plan for. Whereas on the, the east here, the Cairngorms, the challenge is far different. You know, you've got open, bleak landscapes to negotiate, you know, once you've done your mountaineering uh, and to safely survive in those conditions as well. You know, it, it's all about visualizing. I think when it comes to a planning stage, visualizing the worst case and preparing for that. Uh, you know, so that if you are ready for the conditions that you're going to get on the summit uh, areas, then uh, then great, you know, but it's going to be very different from when you set off from the car.
0: Yeah, if I could add something to that, just from my own experience, I worked on the west coast for, for many years, uh, and then when I started coming a little bit more to the east, I would always come to the east, like you say, sometimes when you get that milder weather on the west, you have to come east to actually find winter conditions, yeah. so you end up driving. Yeah. Uh, But but the skill set that I lacked, I think, when I started coming to the Eastmoor was that micro navigation, you know, on the plateau, that pacing Mm -hmm. and timing. And and when I did my guides training, that was the thing that I had to upskill. And it it is um, really important, isn't it, to feel confident in that if you're going to head off on the plateau, because you know what happens sometimes. You go out for a relatively short day, then the wind picks up and suddenly that day becomes longer and it can be very serious on the plateau.
2: Yeah, and I find I nearly have one of those days every year. It's it's almost like uh, gets me used to my systems. You know, I think I think there's no there's no better way of learning. Unfortunately, uh, you do learn the hard way, but those days are really valuable. Uh, and I think you they, they prove as a really good reset, and uh, I think it helps you plan and prepare for all your other adventures that winter. One of those days where you feel a little bit caught out. And, uh, and you'll never do it again and i normally have one of those a day one of those a year sorry okay
0: not a day yeah but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every if, if what about the wind i mean there might be people listening who think as heather was saying hold on a minute thousand meter hills 1400 meter hills it can get very windy in the gorms can't it i mean on the west coast as well i mean i don't know what the average is but there are days when you literally get out of uh the car park in the Cairngorms. I, mean, I remember there was a famous story where Paul Pritchard was over many years ago before his accident and he had the famous Slovenian climber with him and it was so windy, but Paul thought he had to show willing. and So he got out of the car and he started putting his gaiters on and he was bricking himself because he had, it was one of these international meetings and he was going out with this big uh, Silvo was, a, was yeah, a, yeah. A, a very famous alpinist. and Paul was like, I've got to show willing. This is what we're doing in Scotland. But it was so ridiculous. The Slovenian just didn't move. And then he just wound the window down. He's like, no, today we drink coffee. Even he was not going to climb that day. But I mean, Mm. 60 miles an hour?
1: It's a really interesting one. And I was going to just bring it up and see what you guys thought. Because, uh, you know, from my experiences, sort of 30 years working in the Scottish mountains, I would say it's getting significantly more challenging from a perspective of whether there's snow or not and the massive kind of you know undulations we have in temperature but also from a a wind perspective i think it was commonly felt last winter was the windiest winter that we'd we'd tried to operate in and um, we have a weather station on the summit of cairngorm and the highest wind speed it's recorded is 176 miles an hour but forecasting 60 70 at the top of the hill is is pretty average and the sort of thing that we have to factor in and, and deal with and educate people about so I would say yes it's getting significantly windier and even in our summer conditions it, it's getting windier but it's proving less and less reliable winter and more and more challenging which means that the whole planning stage needs to be you know, really beefed up and um, and also being opportunistic because you can't plan to you know go ski touring or doing a route in a certain week of the winter. It's like when it's there, you go and grab it.
0: Presumably, well said. So very hard for you to plan. You, you've got all these courses that you run. Um, I, when do winter courses start? Is it is it generally in theory the beginning of December right through to what's the time frame?
2: Well. You- you you could work in december yeah uh, I think we generally go from uh, the start of January through right. to uh, late uh, late march that's ah. the normal the normal season here uh but you will see winter work from various folk from the start of December okay so I'm trying uh, to get
0: thanks to you I'm trying to get my head around um. Well, you guys giving advice in terms of preparation, which is obviously a massive part of a a, a day out in Scotland, whatever you're doing, whether that's winter walking or uh, winter climbing, uh, two things in that early season, the days are really short, uh, Mm. you know, uh, and obviously this wind, I mean, you know, average 60, 70, but some of those are the figures. And there might be people listening who've never been to Scotland or who might be based in the Alps. And it it is really hard to get your head around it unless you've actually been in Scotland. Uh, one little anecdote I'll share, and then I'll, I'll come back to you guys, is I was going up with clients up, up on the West Coast, actually, up to Stubborn and Lock, and then there was a French girl coming down, and I got chatting to her, and she looked totally broken. I said, what are you doing? She said, oh, I've been over here with some French climbers. We're, we're from ENSA, which is the mountain guide school in Chamonix, mm. and they've, they've started bringing aspirant guides over to, to, to Scotland so that we can get used to really difficult conditions and how to look after ourselves. Uh, and And actually, you think, to someone who didn't know about Scottish winter, you'd think that doesn't sound right, that's a made-up story, but that was real, based on, I think, people coming over on the international meets who were guides working at Enso. They've said back home in Chamonix, listen, you need to go to this place because it's such a hard school of knocks, isn't it, for people? I don't want to put people off who might be listening, by the way, if nobody was going to come to Scotland again, but how do you prepare, what are the things that you say to people in terms of, I've got loads of questions about preparation, you know, whether that's winter walking, winter climbing, what are the real basics when there's not well, much daylight?
2: Yeah. I think, well, you, you know, you've got, you yeah, start early on those, you know, that's, that's one little tip, uh, you know, in January uh, and December as well, they're very short days and dark uh, and, and be prepared to be operating in the, in the dark. Preferably early on in the day, you know, it's easier to walk in early and then you've got time in hand. When you say early,
0: I'm sorry to butt in, but I know know that Glenmore Lodge has a fabulous breakfast, so you might not want to miss that, but it is always a sticking point for people, isn't it? If they're staying in a and they're planning a really big day, do they have that cozy breakfast or do they do without and start even earlier?
2: Yeah, maybe, but I think like what Heather was saying before, uh, you know, you pick your time and, you know, and your itinerary as well, and, you know, choose those shorter, uh, less committing, less remote journeys in the shorter days of December and January. Um, but I shouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't want to give people the wrong impression. There are days when we don't go out and I think it is all about having a plan A, B and C, and some days you might end up on plan E, F. Uh, you know, you, you start out with plan A, but very quickly that might change. And I think it's important having that bit of flexibility factored in, and, and everybody in the team agrees on that as well, uh, rather than feeling like they're very committed to that single plan they've come up with, uh, especially on those days where the weather is so changeable. Uh, and, and you can get local effects as well. So, and, and there are some days where we don't go out. You know I don't want people to get the wrong impression that we are uh, at all costs. you know yeah, yeah, you know it's it's never completely worth it. and uh, so
0: Stu, just to yeah. just to get into side your mind and then Heather as well that when you're planning, I know at the moment you're planning trying to plan the whole winter, but presumably people come up often for a week-long course. i'm I'm imagine it's five days, and yeah. I would imagine yeah. that you guys must be looking at the weather, the snowpack, and and trying to think right over the course of that week we've got an inkling that that's a really good day. This is more of a, an A day, a B day, a C day, something like that. And you, you, you can move things around a little bit. Is that, is that how it works?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, with our experience, as, as, as you know, Andy, you know, we can visualize the week and from the start of the week, maybe the weekend before we're trying to kind of double guess things as to help plan the week. But we we share that with the clients, with people to uh, for them, you know, to give them the right impression. You know, that's what we would like them to do as well. You know, and that is to pick the day, and to maybe plan around that as well. You know, the weather forecasting is, you know, getting better year on year, and then then you can pick your easy and tough days, and you can choose the days for the greater challenges as well. You know, we can see this come in, uh, and we also know that we can't head out the gates uh, every day for a very, very big day every day. Uh, so you're going to have to factor in a, a little bit of easier days and uh, to alter the pace. The pace can't stay the same all week. Uh, and, and also as well, what the team wants, you know, how the team feeling in that day. And, and I think if they talk to each other and then they figure out that there's a day in the week for a bigger day, then it works for everyone.
0: What are the basics of preparation say the night before that you tend to try and get your clients students the the, the right kind of mindset that so that when they leave and they have to do it themselves they've got like maybe a template or what the absolute kind of essentials heather
1: i think there's um there's some real fundamentals here and you know we live a in a day day and age now of digital technology where all the information is literally at our fingertips and um, you know we have some superb weather forecasts that we go over with people and introduce people to with the mountain weather information service and the met office mountain forecasts but also looking at the avalanche forecast as well the scottish avalanche information service and going through details on that in conjunction with what we're seeing out on the hill and also highlighting the forecasters blogs because if you are planning a trip north on a certain weekend then it's a really good routine to get into to start monitoring those blog pictures which is going to dictate and advise you on which part of scotland to head for for your chosen activity and to start to build that picture before you're even anywhere near the mountains and and clearly you know there's a big picture of um, what kit people should be wearing and what they should be carrying with them uh, and you know what to do in the event of an emergency as well so it's a very complex big picture and, and building it up in a progressive manner so you know for people who are new we build the courses up in a very progressive manner but also encouraging people who perhaps are going out to do it themselves that you know if you haven't used an ice axe and crampons before or navigated in winter then heading out onto the plateau or some steep mountain in Glencoe is, is not the first choice. You know, they should be building up those skills progressively at lower elevations and, and you know, getting the skills that they need before they, um, you know, need to use them in anger when they're operating perhaps in a whiteout near a corniced edge. Um, yeah, it's very interesting because I did 17 years um, with the Cairngorm mountain rescue team and it was very interesting, you know, analyzing what went wrong in rescues, you know, what, why the, the eventual outcome was what it was. And, you know, it was often a catalogue of errors, a bit like, you know, lining up the dominoes and kicking over the first one, which then impacted the second, etc. Um, it often wasn't just one particular thing that went wrong. So, what were some of the things... A whole multitude of things, you know, uh, poor equipment, setting off too late, lack of skills, uh, lack of knowledge, lack of practice. Sometimes, you know, to be perfectly honest, just really unfortunate. You know, we all know that we have accidents sometimes, but there's no doubt that some of them could be prevented. And, you know, going back to the wind thing, I think it's really worth getting out there that we, if we have a, a wind from the southeast here in the Cairngorms, then it's always windier than forecast. And we locally call it the Full monte. And looking at some of the big disasters that have happened in the Cairngorms, they have happened on that Full monte wind. But that local knowledge is really hard to get, isn't it? And, you know, there's some awesome blogs and things out there you know to get that sort of you know hands-on local knowledge but you know as we all know we need to treat some of that information with a pinch of salt as well you know some people will just you know blog and put on what an awesome day they had and it's only 10 seconds of the day that actually looked like that
0: yeah well said so Heather in terms of winter walking just to move it a bit more specifically there's probably a lot of people out there who, you know, keen walkers and just like the idea to see the pictures, that's fantastic. What are what are the main things that you're going to be covering if on, on a, you know, trying to get someone up to speed? That is it around the things you've already been talking about. So it's the skills, basic skills
1: yeah the basic planning the basic skills but also enthusing people to enjoy the scottish mountains you know there's absolutely no doubt that some of the best days of my life have been on the scottish hills in winter and i think sometimes we can get very bogged down with the kind of more technical aspects of it and forget you know what's actually around us and and how stunning and beautiful it is
0: no i was, I was just reflecting actually before I before i was chatting to you that when I think about, you know, all the time I worked on the West Coast, some of the memories that I still have 25 years later, then on the Anakigat Ridge with some broken spectres and things like that, those pictures are still in my mind as much mm. as any other memories I've got from, dare I say it, nearly 40 years of climbing and mountaineering. Stuart, mm. winter climbing, because there might be, I'm thinking of two scenarios here. I'm thinking of a, a technical rock climber who's never done any mountaineering. What is it like for them? stepping into winter and then the other scenario would be we can come back to is the the strong walker somebody who's done quite a lot of walking but they're new to sort of the technical terrain i'm just thinking of the the common sort of how you might help them or get the, the things they might need to think about
2: yeah i really want to be uh encouraging of anybody just to you know just go for it and get get involved uh you know, and but the, I think the challenges that, that we often see with you know people like technical rock climbers who haven't done very much in winter before is there's a and there's an awful lot of, of winter mountaineering to get to routes and to get off them, uh, and actually it can be more than half of your day can be actually winter mountaineering to I'll get just, to a climb.
0: I'll just pause you there. I'm just thinking, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, you, you mentioned the west coast. I'm thinking if people go to the Ben Nevis, obviously there's a long approach to get to the CIC hut. And then you've got those big slopes yeah. that, that are the slopes we know that are interesting from an avalanche point of view. And yeah. if you don't know how to maybe move together, short roping.
2: Yeah. You... And it's like that, that terrain that isn't easy, but it's not difficult either. Yeah. Uh, that middle terrain, you know, that can often, they're just, lo- you know, people just don't know how to negotiate that either with a rope or without a rope. Um, so I think th- there's a lot to be learned in those places. Because uh, I think once people start climbing, then, yeah, it's pretty intuitive. You know, it's it's not a quick uh, skill acquisition. I'd say it takes quite a long time for, you know, your technical rock climbers to get their heads around, you know, winter climbing. It's, you know, there's a lot of uh, cleaning routes. There's a lot, gear just doesn't jump out at you. You know, there's a lot of hard-won situations. Uh, and it can be, you have to be really creative, You know, uh, far more creative than your technical rock climber would be uh, on rock climbing. I think uh, it's very almost prescriptive and you can see conditions as well. When rock climbing, it's either wet or dry in rock climbing terms. Whereas in winter, you have to understand that there's huge range within each grade uh, conditions uh, related. So, for example, you could have uh, an easy uh, grade three. Uh, but you could also have a difficult grade three that might might feel like grade four out of condition and that's hard to learn Uh, and that takes time and experience you know because if a grade three gully isn't in condition it one could be really dangerous but at the same time it'll be desperate
0: yeah i'm just thinking of those early seasons when you go out and you're on a classic grade two three and actually it feels like grade seven because there's no build-up so yeah and then obviously the other thing you talked about i'm just I mean, I've got that experience uh, in in the Cairngorms or the Ben, where you climb the pitch relatively efficiently and quickly, but then it's an hour to find a belay.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think I think you've got to get tuned into that. Uh, it doesn't take it, it it takes quite a long time, and and again, it's a, you know you learn the hard way, uh, but you do have to think fast, uh, and you've got to operate uh, quite quickly as well in order to keep that healthy pace for the day. You know, digging out belays. Any tips I can give people is just look for clues. You know, look for clues because that will tell you lots. Uh, you know, tracks in the snow, uh, guidebook descriptions, uh, where would you be like, looking for ledges, uh, any evidence of gear that's been left around, scratches in the rock. But unfortunately, on those heavy snow days, all those clues go out the window and you're left digging. Uh, and they can be really difficult days.
0: Yeah, well said. And, and Heather, I was just, it was two things that, Struck me there is that when you've got a big snowpack um, mm. and you, you're not used to maybe travelling in winter, a lot of the features that you see on the map in the Cairngorms, I mean, they're not there either. They're they're, they're buried under the yeah, snow. Yeah, that
1: can certainly be very true, particularly on the the wind uh, leeward side of of the mountain. But I think a a big thing that catches people out is just how difficult it can be. Uh, walking from A to B if it's deep, soft and consolidated snow and, you know, people will perhaps be used to walking at 4 or 5k an hour in the summer on the hill and, you know, as, as we know, sometimes you can be reduced to literally crawling sometimes or wading or and certainly your pace might drop to 1k an hour so, and that's a, a pretty humbling experience for a, a fit, strong summer hill walker.
0: Yeah, and I've, well said, and I was thinking about ridges as well, just building on chatting there with Stuart about the technical climbing and ridges, I mean, they require a, certainly the whole moving together and using the rope in a different way. I'm thinking of a technical climber here who's fine pitching things, yeah. but then you get on a narrow ridge. It could be the sky ridge or it could be something more even tower ridge, helping people yeah. to climb quickly on that kind of medium terrain. That can often be a gap in the skills, can't it, for us as, as British climbers.
2: Yeah yeah and and again I think I would um start small with that try not to jump in at the deep end saying that I think uh, I think that's, that's how all of us started out
0: <laughs> but the basics of that it's about you know because if you pitch everything it's just going to take yeah. a long time isn't it so it's it, it's a grey area it's it's maybe almost something from scrambling
2: yeah and and I think the you got to be really careful because it can be done so badly as well, and it can be done badly really easily, if that makes sense. Uh, You know, when both of you are attached to the rope and especially when both of you don't really know what's going on, but you're both moving, those are situations that we try and avoid, you know, what you're looking for is uh, equipment, gear options, uh, connecting yourself to the mountain in a way that doesn't impede on the pace. And, And these are techniques that are learned over a long time. Uh, but what all the little tips I would give you is, is maybe just keep those transitions, keep them clean. You know, you either pitch, pitch rock climbing, or, or if you do choose to move together, then, then search for gear and keep gear in, in, on, on the rope and on the mountain, uh, you know, try not to get carried away with the technique and but all of a sudden both of you moving with no gear, uh, between you and, uh, and, and the mountain connecting the rope.
0: I think. From a personal point of view, that was thank that that was a a, a big um, gap when before I was a guide was how to negotiate that sort of terrain in some ways that in theory easier terrain before you get to the steep technical stuff whether that's approaching a route or whether it's more when you get on a ridge uh, and actually I think advice from a professional I mean it's it's invaluable isn't it um, to build up slowly yeah. as you're saying yeah
2: yeah and I uh, kind of like to think it's not so much gray and keep those like I was saying those transitions really clean and simple you're either both moving on terrain where you're not going to fall off because of your confidence and competence but then when you do approach pitch ground then you're agreeing to both you know both people in the team that you're pitch climbing Uh, and then when you are on that ground that is that isn't difficult but it's not easy either you're always looking for and operating in what I call a just in case sort of way. So you're using the rope around terrain, um, and you know, and that's protecting the rope, keeping it connected to the mountain. Um, and it's, and it's good habits just in case techniques. That's what I call.
0: Great stuff. Look, just to try and get people, there might be people listening who've not been to Scotland, they're thinking of it, thinking about coming on one of your courses or just heading up with a mate, what is so special? about the Scottish winter, assuming we get the Scottish winter. Um, Heather, What uh, you you know, 30-odd seasons, what makes a good day for you?
1: You know, for me, I think it's in our very cotton wool world that we all live in, that we're all protected from all sorts of hazards and risks by all sorts of rules and regulations. Um, The Scottish mountains in winter are an environment where you're making decisions that have very real consequences and if you make the wrong decision then you know it could literally cost you your life and and I think in our modern world actually you know I really enjoy the challenge of that and that's obviously you know risk management is obviously a huge part of what we do here at Glenmore Lodge but you can never ever take away the whole risk and and nor would you want to because that's you know fundamentally part of, of why we enjoy the, the scottish winter here so you know that risk needs to be managed with some very careful decision making and the whole sort of planning process but um, it is a very sort of elemental hostile environment out there at times and um you know it's a very serious environment at times and I think that is one of the big attractions for me that that you're still in that position as a, a weedy little human trying to sometimes deal with something that's far bigger and greater than you and, and then that can be compared with other days where it's just you know a stellar blue sky there's no wind you know you you're tramping across some hard neve in your crampons and and it's just a very benign environment but you know the the environment is also just so changeable as well and um what can start off very benign ends up not so benign at times and and you know we've all had our our epics there so i think that's that's what it means to me and you know it's I would encourage anyone who is is into their hill walking and and you know wanting to develop that into the winter to to come and give it a try because I think that the rewards you know it's hard work but like a lot of things in life if you put the graft in the the rewards are you know huge
0: well said and and you know we, I know there's been a lot of international meets over the years and the they used to stay at Glenmore Lodge and you, you know some of the, mm. the the best sort of female and male alpinists from all over the world coming there. And I know friends in Norway and France they they, they can't speak highly enough of, of, of the week in, in Scotland. Um just because yeah. of, of, of well the technical climbing, uh, the environment that Heather's just describing. Um Stuart, I imagine if you have a a day off do you just sort of lie in a dark room or go to a cafe or do you actually want to go out? And, you know, if it's a really good day and you've got your day off, I know that you're a passionate winter climber. There's probably always routes that you're keen to do aren't there, on your list.
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Always. And what's the dream? Uh, but, I am, but I am also very good at doing nothing. Really? Okay. And, and And lying in that dark room.
0: I had to say nothing. What is your, I mean, are you ice climbing, Mick climbing? Do you like it all? What's, what's the, the dream yeah. layout for you?
2: Well, I, I think that's why, you know, all of this, uh, this Scottish winter mountaineering and climbing is respected throughout the world because you can do uh, different uh, disciplines of winter mountaineering and climbing. I think it's, I think in Scotland, you end up being a jack of all trades anyway, because of the conditions you might not get ice climbing, you might get just mixed climbing. So when there is ice climbing, yeah, it's great to do uh, and, and equally mixed climbing as well. I think... You, you you know going in with a good rock climbing fitness into winter helps you cope with mixed climbing, which is going to happen more often because ice takes time to build up. Uh, but you know when those when the gullies and the ice starts to form on Ben Nevis and out west, uh, there's nothing better. I think Point Five Gully is the most famous gully in the world.
0: Yeah, which is quite something. Um, so,
2: so, yeah, I'll be out climbing as much as possible. And it, but also as a professional, I do try nowadays to try and pace myself throughout the winter as well.
0: Okay, so lots of... I mean, the lodge is famous, isn't it, for... What time is tea and cake there?
1: Or what is it <laughs> well, officially winter called? when you get back in. <laughs> when you get back in.
0: But, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I, I, yeah, um, I mean, it's a fabulous place to stay. I remember the, the, the portions of cake are quite impressive and the food's absolutely brilliant. And, of course... I mean, you're probably full all the time, but there is accommodation at the lodge, isn't there? If people want to come and stay outside of a course as well. And there's just a, such a great buzz in winter around the whole place.
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly we uh, do bed and breakfast for people who are not on our courses. And um, it's always worth phoning up to check the availability on that.
0: Yeah, no, no, I, w- I would imagine there's a reasonable selection of malts or whatever behind the bar as well. Is that right? <laughs>
1: Uh, probably, yeah, yeah. I'm more of an expert on the gin myself. Oh, I
0: see, all bases <laughs> covered. Finally, I know you've got a relationship with with Rab. Uh, I mean, I just think, wow, what a what a testing ground for for any equipment. I mean, you know, if you're going to test clothing, this is the place, isn't it? A winter in in the Cairngorms.
1: It's quite interesting. We had um, uh, Rab. Uh, international people staying here for a couple of days recently and we were out on the hill with them and it was a typical kangoms battering you know it was like 70 80 mile an hour across the plateau and uh, I was out with a group of uh, folk from Europe and um, uh, they just loved having that experience I mean it was impossible to actually communicate with them because of a, a language barrier and be the fact that the your voice just got carried away in the wind even if you were shouting but it, it couldn't have been uh, more perfect for them to start to appreciate the sort of environment that we have to work in and then obviously add the winter cold and snow conditions to it um yeah it's it's a good testing ground for kit
2: i yeah. think even as amateurs as well i think mm. you know it's a great challenge for them as well getting it right You know, I I think you you tweak it over time. Like I was saying, people get to know their own systems, uh, you know, but the clothing and equipment that we use is so important. It can, it can make your day, uh, you know, make or break your day really, if that equipment isn't working.
0: I mean, well said in the wind, I always remember I used to, I'd always have almost double wind layers, some kind of, some sort of, you know, uh, wind stopper behind my shell like I know a lot of people if they're working hard uphill could find that quite sweaty but that was my like armored plating that yeah. I would wear and yeah. I mean obviously the difference between you've got a day where you're moving quite a lot you're staying reasonably warm but as soon as you start stopping for any reason you can get cold yeah. pretty quick as well
2: yeah and we're often we're often helping people out with that you know with letting them figure out their own systems okay. uh, but it but the clothing and equipment is an important factor of Scottish winter marniering yeah
0: and if you're doing technical climbing, where you suddenly you could be on a belay for two hours, couldn't you? So I mean, a big jacket over the top. If you've got a, yeah. if you if the leader is taking their time and digging out snow on that kind of thing,
2: yeah. And this kind of it's it's kind of a, a newish phase, uh, kind of like phase, really. This belay jacket principle. You know, this it's been around like 15 years, really. You know, just chuck a jacket on top of everything, and uh, normally it just stays on. <laughs> you know yeah. after like one big let <laughs> yeah but it was designed with the you know with the, with the with the fact that you know once you start climbing you're going to take it off but it's quite hard to take off once it starts going on
0: and outside the outside of the technical stuff what would you have in your rucksack always every day pretty much would it i'm thinking like a bothy bag or is there sort of a lot of basic things that just go in there. final question
1: oh i think well i always have a bivy bag lurking in the bottom as well as, you know, the big duvet jacket you've been talking about and and possibly a group shelter. Uh, but I think there's some really key things that I want to mention. One is a bag of jelly snakes. Others brands obviously are available. Uh, chocolate, lots of brands. And a hot flask of juice. Those things are pretty key for me as well as having several pairs of gloves. Nice. And,
0: Stuart? Jelly- yes, for me. It's... Are you a jelly snake man or...?
1: uh yeah yeah
2: haribo yeah i, I think i've done many four thousand meter peaks fuel purely just on haribo <laughs> yeah uh no, for me in uh, goggles you know uh there isn't many days where i don't go out with a pair of goggles that that's they're always in my bag and spare gloves uh it can often mean that the next few hours is going to be uh, far more conducive and you're going to be able to operate and it can really alter morale as well putting another pair of gloves on that are dry so goggles and spare gloves nice one the thing actually And goggles as well you know yeah there's there's times again you learn the hard way but without goggles i've tried moving in a storm without goggles and it's not that possible yeah, so goggles are pretty important.
0: And obviously, if you've got the Haribos or the the jelly snakes, you you need them to hand, don't you, as well? Not buried in the bottom of your rucksack. <laughs> pretty obvious. One yeah. thing I remember in the Cairngorms was what I learned the hard way when I sort of the, the map was torn out of my hand a few times, and then I didn't have a map. Was I'd have a second map, and I, you know, I know you guys are very good at having the small bit of the map with just the plateau on rather than an enormous map that you're trying to unfold out there in the wind. And I would have one in my pocket and I would actually tie the compass to my jacket so that it couldn't be blown away. And then I'd have another map down the back of my rucksack. It's just those little things that are coming back to me now because it's, uh, (laughs) again, not trying to put people off because it's a beautiful place.
2: Yeah, no, and that's, that's our job uh, throughout the week is just helping people with all these little tips and letting them practice with them. And, uh, you know, they, they, they really work.
1: Yeah, brilliant. I'm convinced the number of maps that I've seen disappear over the years, there must be some big black hole somewhere on the Cairngon Plateau full of maps and map cases
0: Yeah, I can imagine there's some sort of weird monster over there, sort of hoarding them or something (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) listen it's been absolutely brilliant to uh, chat with you, I know you're really busy so thanks for taking the time out you're planning for the winter, I hope it's going to be a a great winter Mm -hmm. fingers crossed, a bit of a slow start and uh, I will definitely call in for some tea, cake, or a weed drink. Yeah, anytime, if, Andy. If I'm up there, brilliant. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've been your host, Andy Cave, and you've been listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast. To keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this, don't forget to subscribe.